This is Gateway City Sports. Cardinal fans, to another edition of the Turning 2 Podcast. I am your co-host, Tito Rivera. And once again, Dinganoles, Matinoles, whatever the hell you want to call him, has given me the keys to the Ferrari. I'm in the driver's seat, but I've got a guest alongside me. He's one of our fellow riders at Gateway City Sports, and that is the one and only Colin Gardner. Colin, how are you doing tonight? Got to feel good about this series. Yeah, I mean, you can't feel bad about taking 2-0-3 on the road from the, I think most people would agree, is the second best team in the division. So I'm just sitting here and enjoying a nice glass of red wine and happy to be part of baseball. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we are excited to have you. Um, we ran a poll uh, over the last 24 hours to see who would sit in with me today. And Colin was the winner Um and uh, and I guess Dinganoles doesn't really want to talk to me anymore. I guess that's just what it is. I mean, that guy, that guy's a piece of work, isn't he? Well, I think I think uh, you know he's in Springfield and the minor league season's underway, so he's having some beers at Hammonds Field. You know, they have you don't know they have a thirty minute happy hour before the game, so I'm sure he's cleaning their stores out yeah. before the game, and he's in no condition to be talking on a podcast where yeah. anybody might uh, be recording. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, but don't give him too much credit, though. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, like like we said at the very beginning of the episode, the Cardinals take two of three from the Brewers in Milwaukee. And, Colin, let's go ahead and jump into game one. Uh, we see the Cardinals and the Brewers battle to a 1-1 draw through, what was it, eight innings. KK and Freddie Peralta going at it. You know, at first, KK didn't look too great, but I thought he was really, really focused on making sure he got through five innings. I think in his press game conference, he said he wanted to get through six innings. He didn't quite get there, but he did just enough to keep the Cardinals in the game, and the bullpen comes in and bails them out. But what was more impressive, I think, and I want to get your thoughts on this, was the bullpen and their ability to go, I think it was 5.1 innings to help secure the win. What do you think of that? I mean, it's just nice to see the things that we thought were going to be the strengths of this team coming into the season actually manifest themselves that way. So like you said, it was five and a third innings from the pen. You got a two-thirds inning from Helsley, an inning from uh, Cody Whitley, who we haven't seen a lot of this year. It's really nice to see him get a clean inning. And then Gallegos and Reyes uh, going to each, which um, 
what really stood out to me was like, you know, especially on the on the road, being the road team, mm-hmm. with the runner starting on second base in extra innings. I, I mean, you're really behind the eight ball, especially if you don't score in the top of the tens, which the Cardinals did not. And it really just shows you how nasty Alatreus can be, yeah. Um, especially when he's in the zone. That not once but twice um, he was able to get the inherited ghost runner on second base automatic rally and get out of that. End up going two innings, three three walks, which isn't great, but uh, the five punch outs. I mean, that's going to shut down that kind of the stuff that he has and that he showcased in the last couple of weeks is just it. It's it, it might be better than what we thought we were going to see. It's just really, really encouraging and exciting to see at the back. And I think this evolution of Alex Ray is it. You know, it was kind of coming in the distance. You just had to get there, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who really hasn't pitched that much uh, for the Cardinals because of injuries, because of Tommy John, then his last strain. Um, so, you know, it was only a matter of time before the game action caught up to him and that he w- his arm was battle-tested. And like, like you said, that slider right now, it's almost unhittable. I mean, I, you know, I was sitting at, at work today. We'll get into game three later. But the game feed was just saying slider after slider after slider after slider. And when you can command a pitch that well, and, and I'm sure you, you know, when you played baseball, right, when you know a pitcher has that, that go-to pitch, it almost feels like you can't touch it. I mean, that that's exactly right. And, so on the broadcast today, Dan Plesak was talking about how, well, if Alex Reyes wants to be a starter, he needs to utilize his fastball more. And that's true. Like, he he, he can't – for if Alex Reyes were to be a successful starter, he can't walk guys no. the way that we've seen Alex Reyes walk guys. The thing is, is that his slider is so nasty, it allows him to make up for those for, – for the amount of walks that he's handing out in the short burst. And, you know, we can talk about game three more, like you said, but um, it was – or was it game two where he just threw six consecutive uh, sliders? No, that was that was uh, that was game one. Yeah, all of Alex Reyes' dominant outings are just running together at this yeah. point. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, a lot of credit to Kisner. I think. Um, yeah, I think Mike Schilt mentioned in the post game like they had a visit. He walked the first guy, the first two guys, and they came out. They had a visit, um, and Kisner kind of said, "Hey, the slider's working. Let's roll with it." Yeah, and they went six consecutive sliders, six consecutive strikes. Uh, ball game yeah which that I think Kisner has been really really impressive in the way you know his offense has been okay he's he's having competitive at bats he's not hitting a ton of balls hard but the way he's managed the pitching staff the way he's managed Carlos Martinez in the couple of starts that he's uh had with Carlos on the mound has been really really impressive yeah especially for somebody who hasn't played a lot so it's really easy for somebody like Kisner to say okay I don't play a lot and Yachty's the man, I'm just going to sit here and try to, you know, not screw this up. And when he's gotten the chance to start, he's really taking ownership of the pitching staff, and it's really, really encouraging going forward. Yeah, and and look, and this is no discredit to Kisner here when I say this, and I think you might agree, that when you have a catcher like Yachty or Molina teaching you, you're going to absorb everything that he tells you. And so this school of thought is coming from Yadier Molina, and it's nice to see it disseminate to Andrew Kisner. Because right now, look, Matt Matt Knowles and I talked about it, I think a couple episodes ago, where, where was Kisner's trade value, and could you move him? And I got to the conclusion that 
maybe you can't because he is so valuable, because the pitchers trust him just as much as Yadier Molina, because he is growing up under Yadier Molina. What do you think of that? Well, I think there's definitely something to that. But at the same time, he, he did have, like, you saw these qualities of him in the minor leagues, right, when he was in Springfield right. in 2017, when he was in Memphis in 2018. You saw a guy who, who took ownership of his defense and really took responsibility of the results that the pitching staff was putting out. So I think, obviously, you give Yachty some credit, but I think the majority of the credit goes to Kisner. I mean, I love Yachty as much as anybody. Um, but it's really, really happy to see. And honestly, you know, I I don't think trade value is something you talk about with Andrew Kisner because, you know, Yachty's 38. As much as he seems like he's found the fountain of youth, you never know when an IL stint's going to crop up. And right. it's really nice to have somebody with that familiarity with the pitching staff. Um I, I'm not. I wouldn't be excited about seeing a 10-game stretch where Ali Sanchez is our primary catcher. Um, nothing against Ali Sanchez. I just haven't seen a lot from him. No, and 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 I don't think anybody would disagree with that. So let's go ahead and get into how the Cardinals ended up winning because we left it 1-1. The bullpen does a great job, you know, picking up for KK. You said that Cody Whitley pitched an inning and. I'm going to agree with you there. That's really nice to see considering he's been very, I don't want to say erratic, but that's pretty much all I can come up with. So, you know, they go into um, (laughs) the bottom half or the top half of the 11th, and um, there were some really good at-bats there. Um, And I think one of those things that I took away from this is that, you know, this Cardinal lineup is so deep that – it doesn't really matter where you are in the game. Anybody who is anybody is going to strike at any point. And Paul Goldschmidt absolutely blasted that ball. I mean, that was probably the hardest hit I've seen him hit this year. Probably, you know, the numbers probably won't back that up. But in my eyes, that was about as pure of a swing that Paul gets on that ball. And then you get two batters later, and then you get a three-run home run by a ball that was absolutely nuked by Tyler O'Neill. And so I want to get into this whole thing about Tyler O'Neill with you because all of a sudden, he has become one of the most consistent hitters on the Cardinals lineup. I think I saw a stat today where in his last, since he's came back from the IL, he's batting 288 with six home runs and I think 12 or 15 RBI. Is he all of a sudden becoming, uh, you know, one of those players where you need to have in your lineup every day, no matter what? I mean, I definitely think the way things are going, unless we see some some drastic change, um, either from what Tyler O'Neill's doing in the negative way or, or something from Justin Williams. Like, Tyler O'Neill's your starting left fielder. I mean, we know what he does on, on the defensive side of the scorecard, and we know what he can do on the base pass when he gets on base. And obviously, he's a threat to go yard at any point. Um, and you know, I, I'm not sure that in, in, I'm not sure I love him hitting fifth because in my mind, um, I would like somebody with a little more contact ability in the fifth spot because you know, Carlson, the top four guys are going to be on base all the time. Right. Yep. And so I, I would like a little less swing and miss in his game. I think like six or seven is a really good spot for him. Um, if Tyler O'Neill is your sixth hitter, um, your offense is in a really, really good spot. And so I definitely think he should be in the lineup every day. I, I, I like him 
right now a lot more than you know Paul DeYoung um but yeah I mean it it's kind of that approach that we have expected to see from Tyler O'Neill um the walks haven't been there um that's kind of always the thing with him um we've seen him walk more in AAA we haven't seen him walk more in the big leagues but as long as he's putting the bat on the ball when he makes contact he does damage and he's making a lot more contact right now than he was in the first week or 10 days of the season. Yeah, and, and I want to jump into the next guy that has been making a lot more contact, and that's Harrison Bader. Um, the polarizing Harrison Bader, right? Because across Cardinal fans, I think you either love him or you hate him. There's not really any in, in between right now. Um, but the fact of the matter is the kid is the kid's showing up. I mean, he, he, gets, uh, he gets, you know, to start this rally, this comeback, he gets on base Excellent. Off of Devin Williams. Yeah, off of Devin Williams. No, yeah, no joke there because Devin Williams is easily one of the best relievers in the game. Um, then he gets on base. Uh, then uh, he what? He's the he double steals with Lane Thomas with excellent base running, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, because of I'm going to say this because I know this is a key phrase of mine. Because of a productive out, you get a sack fly and you tie the game. And if it's not, and you don't do that if it was if you if it's not for Harrison Bader. So so what do you think? How how has Harrison Bader's progression since he's come back from the IL affected this team? So I think I've been thinking a lot about why what has been different about Harrison Bader, and, I'm, and I might write something for Gateway City Sports um, if I can fully flush out my thoughts. But the main thing that I've noticed is I've looked at some of the play discipline numbers for Harrison Bader. And, you know, we think about Harrison Bader, okay, his play discipline is a problem. He chases too many sliders. That's true. Harrison Bader does have a tendency to chase outside the zone too much. The difference between this year and 2020, 2019, is that he's actually swinging at more pitches in the zone, especially early in counts. So he's not getting in as many two-stripe counts where pitchers are going to try to get him to chase outside the zone with the slider or change it up. And if you look, the last time he had a swing rate on pitches in the zone was 2018 when he was a productive hitter. Right. So that's number one. You're seeing some actual approach changes. Um, it's not just about taking more pitches. It's, you know, on 0 one 2-1, when you get a fastball, put it in play and not wait until you get two strikes where they're going to throw you a nasty slider that is going to put you away. Right. So that's the thing that I've noticed most about Harrison Bader, and it's really, really encouraging because I think almost all Cardinals fans agree as polarizing as Harrison Bader's been, if he can, if he can be around that 2018 level of offensive production or, you know, just below that, he's a really, really valuable player. I think everyone recognizes the value of his defense. Um, I think he can be better in certain situations. There was an at bat in this series with runner on third and less than two and less than two outs. And you saw that same, like really weak, non-competitive swing on a slider outside the zone. Right. Um, I think a few more sack flies would go a long ways to uh, making people feel better about Harrison Bader at the plate. And, you know, on the note of sack flies, I think another point in favor of, you know, situational at-bats and productive outs matter is you're not going to get four or five hits off a guy like Devin Williams or Josh Hader. So when Bader leads off with a single and you put together a couple at-bats and make a really good base running play where both guys move up and you put yourself in a situation where you don't have to hit uh, a line drive up the middle or a ball in the gap. All you have to do is get one in the outfield. You give yourself a lot better chance. And I think a big difference between this offense 
and the Cardinals offenses that we've seen um, the last couple of years is that they're capitalizing on more of those opportunities, which just gives you a lot, a lot more better feelings when you're not stranding runners on third and no outs or one out as, as often. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to follow up your comments on Harrison Bader with, with something I said earlier in, in this episode was the flexibility that the lineup gets when you have Tyler O'Neill hitting as well he is as he is in the sixth spot and Harrison Bader hitting as well as he is right now in the eighth spot. It, it just, again, at any moment, you have to be prepared to, to play defense against this Cardinal team and you have to pitch well. There is no doubt about it. These are all going to be very tough outs. Uh, yes, there's going to be the occasional 10, you know, 10 strikeout game. You know, Corbin Burns had that today, but did he win? No, because the Cardinals take good at bats. And that's what you expect of Cardinal teams. You know, as you said, over the last couple of years, the Cardinals offense, it's not, it's not what we've been used to. We have what we used to see from the Cardinal teams is good at bats, capitalizing on mistakes capitalizing on the fastball whenever it's right down the middle or where it where even if it's taking it where it's located right this is some team this is team right now is playing at a very very high conceptual level in terms of productive outs situational hitting like look at it this way Harrison Bader his base hit I think was on a fastball on the outer half of the plate or maybe it was a slider on the outer half of the plate and where did he take it straight to right field he didn't do too much with it. He didn't have to. All he had to do was put it in play. And he put it in play where nobody was. And guess what happens? He scores the tying run and the Cardinals come back and win that game uh, uh, against Freddie Peralta, who's a very, very good pitcher. And, and that's and those are hard things to do. When And we've seen the Cardinals struggle against good pitching. But as you said, when you know runs and hits are at a premium, you have to be able to ready you have to be ready to capitalize on these opportunities. And when a guy with Harrison Bader's speed is on base and you know that he can cause havoc among the on the bases, that's gonna play a mental factor in these games. And, and so you have to be ready to hit and you have to be ready to sacrifice an out here or there just to move a, a guy over because you know what? 1-0 might be the difference, or a 2-0 might be the difference. Because guess what? Today, the Cardinals didn't really hit that well, but they still won. And that's what you expect when you are playing at a high level, that you find a way to win. And the Cardinals have done it against the Brewers already this year. You find a way to win. So I, I really appreciate his, his evolution so far. Now the question is, can he be consistent? Can he continue it? Because it's one thing to do it and feel good about it for the first couple of games that you're back, but now I want to see it over the full season. Yep, completely agree on that. So game two? Yeah, let's let's roll into game two. So we'll leave we'll leave game one behind us. Six one win for the Cardinals. Now we move on to the four one loss. And look, as I just got done saying, when you have good pitching, that is your great equalizer. That is it. And Brandon Woodruff was really, really good. And guess what? The Cardinals still took him to the test. Still put him to the sword. So what did you make of the 4-1 loss? Give me, give me a positive and a negative from the 4-1 loss. So I think the positive is like we continue to see John Gant 
give the team a chance to win, which is what you what you want to see from your number five starter. Um, I mean, I think anyone would say when it's, your fifth, when it's your fifth starter, um, you know, five innings, three hits, one run, three walks, four Ks, um, you'll take that. I mean, he has a one – He really quietly – he has a 1.83 ERA on the season. I mean, yeah. I don't think anyone really expected that. Um, I know he was saying he wants to go deeper in the game. I like hearing that. But, I mean, honestly, I'll just take those five innings and turn it over to the bullpen. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like you said, the offense wasn't great. Um, I didn't catch all of the games, so I'm not sure, like, did we leave a go? It looks like we left five guys on base, so just not yeah. a lot of base runners throughout the game. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it happened. And when this team has been really good at scoring runs late, and you're not always going to score runs late uh, against Devin Williams and Josh Hader like you did in game one. Um, and it's unfortunate that they end up scoring the winning run on what's ultimately a strikeout and a horrible swing um, by Vogelbach. So, you know, it's just one of those games you're not going to go 162-0 and when your team is playing as well as the Cardinals are. It's, it's hard to get too upset um, when they just, you know, they get shut out by a good pitcher and, you know, they play a competitive game and come up short. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think for me the negative is too many strikeouts. Um, you're giving you're giving Brandon Woodruff too many strikeouts. And, and let me put it to you this way, right? Uh, before the game started, naturally I was on the betting wire and I was looking at this particular game because of the game props and Brandon Woodruff's over under on strikeouts was six and a half. The guy had four through three innings, and I'm thinking I hope to myself, you took the over. <laughs> "Yeah, I did." But I'm I'm just saying, like the guy had four strikeouts through three innings, and I'm thinking to myself, "Boy, six and a half was really low." And, <laughs> as good as Brandon Woodruff is, and and I think, you know, that's not to say the Cardinals are just dog. You know what? But it's it's easy to get caught up sometimes in how good a team is and how good a team how well a team is playing but as i said the great equalizer is good pitching and sometimes you run into that bus into that buzzsaw um do i think that brandon woodruff's the greatest pitcher in the world no he's a really really good pitcher and i'm not and i'm going to say this i think the cardinals beat him i would say three out of five times, I think they could. But today, just that day was just not their day. I think if we really want to look at the negative of that game, it's that Paul DeYoung left the game. Probably going to spend the sure. time on the IL. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I know that a lot of people, and myself included in this, don't love seeing Paul DeYoung hit fifth. I think I mentioned that when we were talking about Tyler O'Neill yeah. just a second ago. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like I think the Cardinals are a better team with Paul DeYoung at shortstop than Edmundo Sosa or uh, Rondon from AAA, um, you know, he, I think he's better than a 177 hitter. He's not a 300 hitter, but I don't think he's a 177 hitter either. And he has been pretty good in RBI situations. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the main thing that stands out to me from that game is like, we hopefully this IL stay for DeYoung is pretty short. And, um, I'm, you know, hopefully Sosa plays well, whoever ends up playing shortstop. Um, we can talk about the possibility of Tommy Edmund being our full-time shortstop for the next 10 days. Um, and you probably wouldn't miss a beat because he's Superman and that's all he can do is play defense and hit. So, Yeah, the problem with that is that the reason you're going to put Edmund at shortstop is because you want to get Carpenter in the lineup, which, <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that every once in a while if there's a matchup or a pitcher that Carpenter's had previous success against. I'm not super high on 
Edmundo Sosa's offensive potential. So, you know, sitting him in favor of Carpenter is probably a, you know, a wash at best. Yeah. Um, but if we just decide, okay, Carpenter's going to slide in the five hole and play every day at second base, mm. I, that seems like what we might see. And I really hope that it's not. And, uh, but we'll see, you know, I think, I think she'll, she'll done a lot better job in the last couple of weeks. Um, so I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, yeah. I have a feeling, but yeah. So one, I, I'm going to, I'll preface this by saying that Derek Gould tweeted out that I think, uh, Moroff, I think it's Max Moroff, uh, left the game. He was playing second base and left the game. So there's a very good chance that he's going to get the call up to the big leagues and play some second base. And I think you probably will see Tommy Edmond at short. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that Tommy Edmonds, nat- I think his natural position is shortstop. Um, you know, he's a smaller guy. He kind of reminds me of Dex- David Eckstein in, a- in stature um, playing short. But the thing is, is the kid can play. Um, and if he can play shortstop, then I'm okay with this move as long as the right players at second base, much to your point. Here's the thing. Matt Carpenter is going to play if the matchup dictates it. And I think you saw that today, right? You had a right-handed pitcher on the mound. Um, and I think, you know, if you were going to play the matchup, this this was the move that Matt Carpenter would come in and and play today. Mainly because you also probably didn't have enough time to get a taxi squad in or or what you were going to do. And the fact of the matter is, is Edmundo Sosa's offensive potential, much to your point again, it's just not there. It, it, it's not it's not there for the Cardinals to be successful. And now is that to say that the Cardinals are going to be successful with Matt Carpenter at second base either? No, but that probably was your best option. And I've actually said this before in, in a previous episode, right? When Tommy Edmond was playing the outfield, there was only really one realistic opportunity for Matt Carpenter to play was to Tommy Edmond get moved. But the only reason he was moving was because the outfielders were playing so poorly. Now you don't have that situation. Now all three of your outfielders are actually playing very well. Uh, Despite Dylan Carlson not having the greatest series, all three of your outfielders are playing well. Now you don't have that that excuse to go put Edmund out there. So you have to figure out, okay, Tommy Edmund's been my best player so far this year. I can't take him out of the lineup. Where is he most comfortable with, second or short? Short because of his natural positioning, but second probably because that's probably his best position. But if you can't trust the offensive output from Edmundo Sosa or Matt Carpenter, who are you going to go with? Naturally, you're going to go with your veteran player because he is the one that is probably the most capable of doing something in the lineup. And he gives you a left-handed bat, which the Cardinals don't really have. So... There's a lot of different factors that we can throw around, and you know, I saw your tweet. Nobody's talking about you know the the uh, weighted uh, batting average for Matt Carpenter and all this other stuff. The fact of the matter is he's not hitting, but he but I think in Schilt's mind, that's the best option for them to win a game. Yeah, so I think 
that tweet might have been misinterpreted by a bunch of people. So Carpenter had the blue pit in, I think, the first inning. And every time he makes, like, a decent contact on a flyout, everybody's like, oh, the X batting average was 750 or right. 545. And it was like, okay, well, now he gets lucky, and we can't acknowledge, like, oh, he, he caught a break. Like, you know, that's a the whole sure. Matt Carpenter's bad numbers are strictly because of bad luck. Like, that takes a hit when he gets a fly, uh, snoring duck to fall, fall in like that. Yeah. But I really think, realistically, we're going to see a mix. We're going to see a little bit of Nuno Sosa. We're going to see a little bit of Maroff, who's actually hitting, like, 538. I know, right? 36 <laughs> plate appearances. Yeah. So, like, if, if, if the Youngs are going to be on the DL for 10 days, like, let's bring up the hot hand. Let's see sure. if it translates to the big leagues. And, you know, maybe you catch lightning in the bottle. Um, and what? the thing that Carpenter's got going for him is, you know, he, he can still leave the yard, which is something that Sosa, you know, you don't really get from him. So Carpenter can run into one and uh, change the game like he did a couple of times off the bench. Uh, not too long ago and the other thing is that Burns you know no one's really hit Burns well but lefties have hit him better than righties so okay yeah. let's get Carpenter in there and maybe he catches one and um you know it I think it's not a coincidence people were really on Shilty a while back for how much Carpenter was playing especially in the first couple of weeks of the season right and I think the fact of the matter is no one in the outfield was hitting and right. as soon as you get O'Neill back from the IL and Bader back from the IL and they start playing better, Carpenter's role has been reduced. And it's been reduced to what it probably should be. You know, come off the bench, pinch hit, be a left-handed threat that, you know, has a little bit of pop, and that's it, and get the occasional start. And so it's not – I don't think it's a coincidence that the Cardinals have played better since then, but it's also not a coincidence that um, he's kind of gone – his role has been reduced as they've gotten healthier. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is like, I, th- I think the writing was on the wall when Harrison Bader came back, right? Um, again, Dylan Carlson was only playing center because Harrison Bader was out and Tommy Edmond was in right field because neither neither Austin Dean or Justin Williams really was cutting it. I mean, think of the playing time that Justin Williams was was, was getting and look what he's been reduced to. Uh, and I would argue, argue that Justin Williams is just as good a hitter right now than Matt Carpenter. So, uh, you know... I think you're right. We'll get a mix, and, and I and I'm okay with that. And, and I guess the numbers for this Marov kid is are, are off the charts. Really good right now. What was the number five? What was he batting? Five thirty six. Uh, you said. Let's see. I have it pulled up. So he's had thirty four plate appearances. He's hitting five thirty eight. Wow. With the six forty seven on base and a <laughs> one point one one five slug. So that includes three doubles and four homers. Nine RBIs. Yeah, that's not bad. Base. So, so this guy six walks and three six walks and three strikeouts. You know that ain't bad, right? That ain't no, bad. that'll play. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, you know. Well, yeah, and like like you said, let's see what what happens. So, okay, so we we talked about positive negatives. It's a four one loss. I mean, look, you're not going to win it all like you win them all like you said and. And we can we could probably talk about game game two for for a little bit longer, but realistically, there's not really much there. I mean, they lost. It is what it is. So let's let's go ahead and move on to game game three, and I and I'm really itching to talk about this with you because you and I shared some thoughts before we got on this about uh, the, the man himself, the Joker, El Capitan Jack Flaherty. You know. There's something to be said about good pitching matchups, and I wish this was not on YouTube TV today because this was definitely this pitching matchup was definitely worthy of a Sunday night baseball kind of, of game. 
But when you see Corbin Burns versus Jack Flaherty, what goes through your mind? Um, I hope Jack Flaherty pitches like I think we all think he can. Um, so I have some thoughts on Jack Flaherty. Mostly, so I was very critical of Jack Flaherty like late September of last season through the off season, um, coming into the spring and, and through his first couple of starts. Um, in my mind of 2019, what I thought we were seeing was a guy finally one of these pitchers that we've seen the Cardinals bring up. First it was Carlos Martinez, then it's Alex Reyes, then it's you know whoever's going to be the next ace. And they've all kind of shown it for a second, and then it kind of disappears. And Jack Flaherty showed it in 2019, a level that no one else had. Carlos Martinez was never as good as Jack Flaherty was in the second half of 2019. That being said, as he struggled through 2020, and I understand it was a weird year, but it was a weird year for the rest of the Cardinals, too. It was a weird year for Adam Wainwright, and he pitched very effectively. As I took a step back in the offseason, I looked at Jack Flaherty's career, what he had done to that point, was you saw and a half, basically, of good but not great starts and one historically good stretch. So I said, okay, what is the exception and what is the rule here? And it seemed to me at that time that the exception was the second half of 2019, that level of dominance, which I don't think anybody really expects, but that ace-like performance seemed to be the exception. And he wasn't great in spring training. They were hiding him on the backfields. His first start was kind of um, – it was not great. And then he struggled to get through five innings a couple of times. Um and now we kind of like fast forward to where we are as the season. It's May 13th and he's seven and zero. his ERA is really, really good. I don't know what it is on top of my head. I think he's going six, two, seven two, innings eight. routinely. Yeah. His ERA right now, I believe is two, eight, three. Yeah. And I think if you take out that first start, which I'm not a fan of saying, take out the first start because I'm um, sorry. That's two, one of the things two, that they four, said seven. last year. His, they his, said, Oh, if you take out that one start against Milwaukee, then he was really good. And it's like, well, you don't just get to do that. Like, you you know, you take out a really good start and his ERA goes up, but nobody wants to have that conversation. Yeah, so, um, his, so his actual ERA right now is 2.47. And I think, I think on the radio when I was on my way in, I uh, was able to hear that his ERA since his first start is like a 1.8 something. I mean, just at, at stupid good. Yeah, I think I saw Zachary Silver tweet something, a stat similar. So that's probably correct. Um, and so this is my long way of saying, like, my philosophy coming into this season is Jack isn't the ace until he proves that he's the ace, right? Like, aces pitch like aces. It's not unfair to say, if you say you're the ace, pitch like it consistently, and let's not play the games where we say, oh, let's take out a couple bad starts and look how good your numbers are. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's officially thrown more innings than he did last year. He's His Ks are not quite as high as they've been, but they're still over nine per uh, nine innings. He's giving up way less home runs than he did last year, and his ERA is a lot lower, and he's winning every time out, which is awesome. And so, you know, I don't think I really have to apologize for it because I was just kind of saying I want to see him prove it again. Mm-hmm. But he is. He's proving it. He's pitching like an ace, and that's what they need because you're pro- you, 
as it currently stands, the Cardinals have five competitive starters and have one elite starter, and they need him to pitch like an elite starter if they're going to go to places that they say they want to go. Yeah, and, and look, the fact of the matter is, is the Cardinals have won seven straight starts for Jack Flaherty, and I want you to hear this progression. His ERA has gone down from uh, 12.46 from his first start to 5.23 to 4.11 to 3.80 to 3.18, then down to 3.41, and then all the way down to 2.83 as of last game. And then now, including today, it's down to a 2.47. I mean, the guy has found his mojo, that's for sure. Um, and as you said, he, he has turned around this narrative that maybe he wasn't the ace. And typically, uh, you know, when I think of an ace, I think of consistency, I think of dominance. And right now, Jack has been dominating his opponents. Um, he's gone at least six innings in, um, in, in, all, in his last five starts, at least six innings in his last five starts. Um, the most earned runs he's given up in those games was three, and that was against Pittsburgh. Um, which, you know, you can toss in the air and say whatever. Uh, the Cardinals ended up winning that game 12-5. to um, But one thing that's been pretty interesting is he's not he's not been a very stri high strikeout guy. Um, his max, his total strikeouts, was, you know, his top uh, billing is 9 against the Pirates. But other than that, he stayed pretty relatively quiet, right around 6-5 a game. So he's probably averaging right around 5.5 to 6 a game. Um, and this is a trend that I've noticed in a lot of the pitchers for the Cardinals. They're not a lot of high strikeout guys, but they get j the job done. They're efficient with their innings. Um, and I want to kind of hit on this because this is something that the, that the, the organization has preached, at least for the last couple of years, is better defense uh, and better pitching, right? Um Right now, the Cardinals have a really, really good defensive team on the field. Do you think, because of the way that these pitchers are pitching, um, you know, essentially pitching the contact to help them uh, help their defense get them those outs, do you think that that kind of philosophy will lead to the starters going longer in games and, and you know, let you know not relying so much on the strikeout? but helping them get deeper into games so they let their defense work? I mean, I think there's there's definitely – it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. I'm not sure if one causes the other. But I think the biggest thing I see from Jack, and it probably applies to the rest of the staff, um, until you get to the bullpen, and then it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> then uh, a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts. The ball's never in play. <laughs> yeah. um, so the one thing I've seen with Jack is that he seemed like he would get ahead and – when he was struggling, he, he'll get ahead 0-2-1-2, and it's two sliders out of the zone. Now we're even or full, and then we have to come to the plate, and they kind of know a strike's coming, and they're ready. Well, what's made what Jack has seemed to be doing better is saying, okay, my slider's really good. My curveball is really good, and I think he's been using his curveball more too. And my fastball is really good. So I'm going to throw in the zone, and you can try to put it in play, and you're even if you do put it in play, it's probably going to be weak contact, and these eight guys behind me are going to turn it into an out. 
And I think that's what we saw in 2019 when he was really effective. I think it's what we're starting to see now as he kind of progresses forward or gets back to that uh, guy that we saw a couple of years ago. It's like he he trusts this stuff. He knows that I can throw a 1-0 slider in the zone and odds are it's going to be strike one or somebody's going to put in play weekly for an out. And I think that translates to the rest of the staff. I mean, I think Wainwright, his stu- he still has a lot of movement. Like, he throws some sinkers. He'll snap off a couple sinkers at 90-91. That's moving a lot. And his breaking ball, you still see Juan Soto, they asked him after he pitched against the Nationals, they said, you know, what do you what do you do against Adam Wainwright's curveball? And he said, you just hope you make contact, man. And this is one of the best hitters in the National League. Right. And it just goes down the staff, right? Like, they, like Wainwright has kind of set this mentality of like, hey, it's not good enough to go only five in. We should be going six, seven, eight innings. Um, and they're trusting their stuff. And, and it's really, really nice to see because the way they were, the innings we were getting from our rotation for the first 10 days or two weeks of the season, I mean, wasn't good enough. that was not going to cut it. And no. I was thinking, you know, we've got, at that time, I was thinking, we've got 17 games in 17 days coming up. Like, what is this bullpen going to look like? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're going to have to repay by 55 between St. Louis and Memphis by the end of this. Yeah. And it turned out that they all stepped up and they pitched awesome. And it was it's just really, really fun to watch. Yeah, and look, the thing is, is when you have um, your all your starters working in sync and, and working at a high level right now, uh, it makes for, uh, for a good opportunity. I mean, listen to this starting rotations uh, ERAs. Um, you've got Jack at a 2.47. Wayno at a three 3.8, which is acceptable. I'll, I'll take that. Um, John Gant at a 1.83, as you said earlier, and uh, KK at 2.74. Your highest one outside of that is Carlos Martinez at 4.35. And even then, that's I don't think that is indicative of how well Carlos has pitched. He's had a couple bad games, no doubt. Uh, but that isn't indicative, in my opinion, of how well he's pitched. Um, the Cardinals' rotation has been very, very good. And and you might laugh when I say this, but of the starters, John Gant has the highest war. And that's not a joke. John what Gant, is it? What is his and what is Jack's? Jax is a .4, and John Gant is a .8. That is a shocking statistic. That is a shocking statistic. But I think it goes to your point earlier when you were talking about how sneaky John Gant has been. And and I and I think that we the problem is is like John Gant may not be going, you know, innings worth like Jack Flaherty or Adam Wainwright has been, or even Carlos Martinez a couple times in a row. And, and he's very similar to KK, where they're not going, you know, a lot of distance here, but they still continue to be a consistent pitcher in terms of just getting through the innings and keeping the Cardinals in the game. And, and to see that statistic, it, it is really mind blowing, considering that John Gant also has walked double the amount of players that Jack Flaherty has has walked. Yeah, so I think there's going to be some regression here with the yeah. starters. Like, they're not going to pitch this no, well no, the no, season. Yeah. Um, but I also think, like, there's some positive – like, there's also some progression to the mean that we might see in other aspects of the team. Like, I don't think 
the bullpen is going to continue to walk this many guys throughout the whole season. Um, I don't think Paul Goldschmidt's a 650 OPS hitter. Um, so things like that, hopefully, as we go forward, they kind of stabilize to the middle um, of more what we would expect for a full season. And I, I still think what we've seen is that they play defense really well. Their bullpen, when they're in the strike zone, is nearly unhittable. Their rotation is extremely competitive, if not really good. And the offense finds a way to get it done. And, you know, you're talking about ward numbers. I did notice today that uh, it was already like almost half a win clear of the rest of the team in yeah. terms of war. Yeah. And it's just it, – it's like refreshing because it's there's a stretch where we make the, the big move, the big offseason acquisition mm-hmm. would be really underwhelming. It's so nice to have like – Arnott is our guy. This is our move. We're here to win the NL Central and go deep in the playoffs. And he just steps in from day one, and he's like, all right, I'm the guy. I'm the dude in the lineup, and just get the job done. It's Like you said, the, the team is just so fun to watch. You can, yeah. like, you can only sit here and sing their praise. If you're a Cardinals fan, and you're being critical of the team, overly critical of the team, and what they've done for the last three weeks or a month, like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. What do you want to see? Yeah. I mean, what else are you? What what else can you ask for? I mean, the Cardinals are just like I said; they they're playing at a high level, and 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 to win a two zero game today, on you could have easily just said, Brewers, you know what? I'll give you this game because I've got bigger fish to fry with the San Diego Padres, and you could gear up for that series, um, and I wouldn't have been surprised to be honest. But you you have your ace on the mound. You need to see if you can you can beat these guys. And look, the fact of the matter is, what if anything, what this series showed me is that the Brewers pitchers are beatable. Yes, they're very very good, but they're beatable. Um, and and let's not forget that you know, Corbin Burns torched us in his first start against us, but he still didn't win that game. He was pitching very well this game too, and mind you. We caused his first walk, and if it was going to be anybody, it was Tommy Edmond. But we caused his first walk, and he just, you know, he was coming off of COVID IL, um, and so the Brewers probably weren't going to run him out there and expect him to throw nine innings. But the fact of the matter is, is he's still a good pitcher, and you were able to beat him. He took the loss, and the Brewers, you know, they can't hit. They got lucky in game two. They just can't hit. And I think the Cardinals just caught them at the right time. And as I said earlier, I wouldn't want to play the Cardinals right now. They're they're just playing very, very consistent, fundamental baseball. Um, and it's going to take a lot to beat them. And, and right now the Padres, they're not looking great. Uh, they've got guys out on COVID. And I, and I know we'll, we'll kind of preview that series here in a second, but, you know, if the Cardinals are going to continue this role, whew. <laughs> I mean, they're on the verge of going their, uh, of their last 19 games. They're 14 and five, 14 and five. And the rotation's only going to get healthier. Yeah. I mean, miles, I Michael, miles, 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 right now. Well, think- the, the thing, the problem is, is that there's the only, the only obvious here is John Gant. That's the only only obvious, in my opinion, place for Miles Michaelis, and you hope that John Gant can give you innings out of the bullpen. But the and, and the problem is, is the only <laughs> the only like 
you know, con to it is like John Gant's been pitching really well. Yeah, we just said he's leading the rotation in war. And now we're <laughs> like, well, he's the only one that can go to the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, and maybe that's – look, that's a good problem to have. It is. I do think John Gant just being a strike thrower would be valuable in the bullpen. Like, I don't just want to say, like, I don't want to just move him. He's been pitching so well. But, like, I do think the bullpen could use a guy who's not so much um, swing and miss. Right. Uh, effectively wild. How we've seen from Ray, I think, from Burr, which, like, they've been great. Yeah. But, but I do think there's times when there's guys on base um, or in, you know, the fifth or sixth where you don't necessarily want to go to those guys um, or burn them, and you need somebody to just come in and, um, you know, fill up the strike zone, get out of the inning, limit the damage, and then move on. Um, but, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, what a what a crazy start to the season that it's been. That, yeah. Like, how many teams get to say, let's take our best starter in terms of war and let's make him a middle reliever just to, like, be basically Seth Manis? Yeah, <laughs> I- I don't know. Not a lot, that's for sure. I mean, it's an it's been a very interesting season, to say the least. So let's let's quickly talk about the Padres series and and what your expectations are for that. Because uh, as I said not too long ago, they've got some guys out on COVID IL. Uh, obviously, the main main player here being uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. So it's kind of sad to see him not play. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, who cares? Not my problem. Uh, so what are your expectations uh, for this series? I, I just hope that they keep playing competitive games, honestly. Um, you know, we have a three-game lead in the division, but, like, let's just keep playing well. Let's, keep, let's not have any, you know, blow-ups or things that really kill the momentum. I do think it'll be really exciting to see how Oviedo looks tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's listed as the probable starter. Um, like you said, it, it is disappointing to not see the Padres at full strength. I don't think, um, since we're playing in the Central, obviously, we're not going to see the elite National League teams very often and to not get the chance to measure themselves against you know the second or third best team probably in the National League, depending on who you ask. It's a little bit disappointing, but I think it'll be exciting. I'm sure that there'll be some chatter about Wainwright pitching in San Diego a couple of years ago. We thought his career was going to be over there. And so I'm sure that will be somewhat of an emotional start. I'm not sure if he started in San Diego since or not. Yeah. Um, actually, he probably did. He started their postseason game. Yeah. Um, and then Ryan Weathers is going to pitch against us on Sunday. And he's a pretty highly thought of prospect. So it'll be interesting to see a, a starter that the Cardinals are not familiar with, never faced. Um, and it looks like, is it Sunday Night Baseball? Uh, yes, it is. ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, their first one. Oh, I feel like weird things always happen on Sunday Night Baseball, yeah. so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the pitching matchups are Ho- Johan Oviedo versus Joe Musgrove, uh, no-no Joe. Um, I don't, he's not been the same pitcher, obviously, since that no-no. Um, I think the Cardinals can hit him. I think they've seen him before. Uh, Chris Paddock versus uh, Wainwright. Paddock has been a, a pretty unusual case. I, I think he's been okay, but he's got a 4.78 ERA. His whip is 1.114. He's 1 in 3 on the year so far. I, you know, his ERA at home, surprisingly, is, is 7. So. <laughs> If you're coming into this game, you're you're thinking, eh, 
maybe there's an opportunity here. I mean, uh, last time out, um, looks like he only went, last time he pitched, it was only three innings worth of uh, of ball, and that's not going to cut it for a team that is supposed to be, you know, one of the top uh, um, teams in, in the National League and certainly the National League West. Uh, but I think the big story here is is the Cardinals won't see Blake Snell, they won't see you Darvish, and they won't see uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. So I don't think you can put too much weight into this. And if the Cardinals lose two of three here in San Diego, I'm not really going to sit there and say, eh, that's not that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, that's a big deal. I'm just going to say, eh, uh, it is what it is. That's fine with me. There, there are better games to that are going to come their way. Um, but if they go out there to San Diego and win two of three, I'll be okay with that um, as long as they're good games, right? I want them to continue to play good games. I don't want them to get lucky. I want them to go out there and, and hit the ball and smack the Padres around because, honestly, as good as the Padres, Padres lineup is, I don't think they are somebody that I am particularly worried about come postseason time. Um, I still think the Dodgers would beat them in a, in a uh, NLDS series, and, and that that's just me. But I'm excited to see them on uh, Sunday Night Baseball. It's not a high marquee game with KK and, uh, as you said, Ryan Weathers, a prospect on the mound, but it's still Sunday Night Baseball. So I'll take it. It'll be nice to see them on national TV, and I'm sure everybody that's not a Cardinals fan will hate us for it. Yep, yep, especially if something weird happens and Matt Baroff yeah. goes like four for four. <laughs> um, four home runs. I yeah. also think we get like a little wrapped up even, you know, I in the hype of the Padres. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals are like one terrible offensive performance against the bullpen game from winning that series last year. So like it, it really shouldn't be surprising that they're playing as maybe not as well as they are, but that they're playing well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them win the series. And, you know, as long as they play competitive games, if they lose two out of three, or, um, then it's not a big deal. I also think um, this is my last point for the night. Yeah, We'd be remiss if we did not point out that um, the Cardinals are looking to open Bush Stadium at full capacity in June. Yeah. if the So pending the amount of vaccines, from what I understand, uh, the Cardinals are waiting for approval from the St. Louis government, St. Louis city slash county government. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly how all that will break down and works, but uh, as, as soon as they get the approval from them, uh, yep, you guys can go ahead and open Bush Stadium um, than they intend to. And I cannot wait to turn on the TV at 715 and see 40,000 fans at Bush Stadium. Yeah. It's going to feel good. And, and you know what? A part of me hopes that there's this like, online and maybe we start this Colin we start this massive online movement for when Nolan Arenado uh, gets his first at bat with a full capacity crowd we truly give him the the welcome that he deserved uh, on opening day I know you know he got his moment with the home run the standing ovation and everything like that and the curtain call but just could you imagine just being in the stadium being a part of that first 40,000 to truly greet Nolan Arnado on his first like true game at Bush Stadium. I mean, that would be incredible. I, um, I don't know if we have to have a movement. I have a feeling people are going to be so excited to be back that yeah. they'll be giving all nine <laughs> yeah. players in the Cardinals lineup standing ovations all night long. 
Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, let's just treat it like opening day again. Let's see the Clydesdale. Let's run it back. We didn't get to do one last year, so we'll do one now this year, the second one, to make yeah. up for it, yeah. and just treat it like a second open, opening day. Yeah. So, we've got the Padres coming up, Cardinals just rolling right now, top teams in the in the National League. Um, good times are right now. Battle still wears on, though. we still got a lot of baseball to play in this season. So, uh, Colin, any last thoughts on, on tonight um, and, and what's going on in baseball? Um, nothing off the top of my head. I think we're good. Let's just keep the train rolling. Let's keep winning series. And uh, I don't know. Let's lock up the division by, like, Labor Day. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd take that. So No, I don't want, to, don't want anybody playing this back. <laughs> We end up being in third place. And like, they said they were going to lock up the division by Labor Day. No, let's just keep – hopefully they just keep playing well and we'll just keep moving along and getting from five games above 500. Uh, I remember Tony used to talk about first goal is to get to five games above 500 and then 10 and then 15. Right now we're between five and 10, so let's just get to 10 games above 500 by the end of the month. Yeah, and and they, the Cardinals have a great opportunity because once they uh, – handle the Pir- or the Padres series. They have the Pirates and then the Cubs um, in six straight games. So, um, And with those two teams playing the way they are, uh, a lot could be said about that. I actually will be going to uh, the Sunday, I think it's a Sunday night baseball game against the Cubs at Bush Stadium. Um, so it'll be a large capacity crowd. I think the Cardinals are definitely doubling their seat capacity by the time the Cubs roll into town. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. My final thought on, on baseball and what's going on with that is, is that, um, when you play good fundamental baseball, good things happen, uh, productive outs, good pitching, good offense, consistent offense, I should say as well. Uh, that'll win you ball games. And right now that's what the Cardinals are continuing to do. They've done that over their, like I said, over the last 19 games, they're 14 and five, um, and have an opportunity to uh, stretch a, a pretty good uh, month of May um, into uh, into the halfway, and you know you're halfway through May, and, and you're looking pretty pretty good right now. So, for Colin, I am Tito. One more thing, Tito. Oh yeah, go thing, for Tito. it. Go for it. If you haven't watched the video of the guy getting oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I totally forgot we were going to talk if about. If you that. haven't seen the video of the guy getting the shit rocket course or course field yeah um, the it was a total maybe. cheap shot it was a total cheap shot but the guy went down like a sack of potatoes and credit to the rockies fans man they were there they had their guys back and um i don't know what happened to the dude who threw the initial cheap shot but you gotta go watch the video it's yeah. all over twitter yeah. um but yeah that's what hopefully we do the padres this weekend yeah um and also it'll be the cubs first visit to bush stadium since 2019 so uh, I'm sure that's going to be a freaking blast, Tito. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. Uh, fortunately for me, I will be in the suite seats, so I will uh, be taking it in and, and loving a little bit of life there. So, as I said, that's Colin. I'm Tito. Thank you for joining the Turning 2 Podcast tonight. Um, and if you are listening in the morning, welcome back to the Turning 2 Podcast. Um, and let's go cards. Let's have a good weekend. Thanks.